honor to be with you this morning and preach God's word. Um, his words are spirit and life. So may it be his words and not mine. Amen. <laughs> We're uh, finishing uh, the sermon series on a house of prayer this morning. And then after that, uh, we're going to begin next week a sermon series for the summer on the fivefold ministry, the five leadership gifts of Christ from Ephesians 4, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And um, as we explore our calling as missionaries sent by God in our uh, identity as a new creation, what is that facet of fivefold leadership in my life that God has made me as a gift to you and made you as a gift to me? And I like to think of it as this. Um, the gifts that I have um, are, uh, if, if I'm a prophetic leader, the gifts that I have are apostles, teachers, evangelists, and pastors, as in you, in my life. You're the gift that I have. <laughs> and so we're going to explore that deeply uh, throughout the summer. But today's the last uh, sermon in the House of Prayer sermon series. The first one a few weeks ago was the House of Prayer as a House of Worship. And if you remember, I talked about the distinction between entering in, and we did a lot of this today, right? Caroline's word. I, I said, forget, I uh, read from Forget Not All His Benefits. Caroline uh, read that the psalmist did not forget the wondrous works of God, that we tell our soul, bless him, praise him for who he is and that he's good. We come in and some of us, some weeks start slower than others and being able to center on Christ, Right? And so we, we come in and we, and we tell our soul, we bring our soul under submission to the Holy Spirit um, at different speeds. Some weeks it's easier than others. Sometimes God meets us early. But the point I'm, that I want to make this morning is that we start off in praise, but then at some point God begins to meet his people tangibly and perceivably. And we, in Jesus' words, begin to worship in the Spirit. And he said, the true worshipers will worship in the Spirit and in truth. This is who the Father seeks, those who worship in the Spirit. So my point this morning is that worship is sourced by God. We worship by the Holy Spirit. And I talked about in the next week that different than happiness, which is a chemical feeling, that is also part of our soul, that's our emotions, right? And it might be related to something that's fleeting or something that might even betray us or something that might become an idol. In other words, it's not rooted in God necessarily. It's a chemical feeling. But the joy of the Lord is from God. That joy, like worship, is sourced in God. And today we're going to talk about the house of prayer as a place of healing. That healing is also, like joy and worship, our inheritance from the Lord. And we cannot produce our own healing. Healing is from God alone, just like joy, just like worship. So if you'll stand with me and turn to Matthew 21, verses 12 to 15, or look on the screen behind me, it will be up there. Let's read out loud together the word of the Lord. Let's read together. 
out loud. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. You can be seated. Okay, and so... Um, in this passage, there's a lot more than meets the eye. I gave an overview of the house of prayer in March. And in that, if uh, you were here, remember, I showed a picture of the synagogue. And the context in which these money changers and sellers of doves were doing so was the outer courts of the Gentiles. So there was a man-made place uh, in the synagogue that had um, that was space for those who were non-Jews. And then there was a space in the synagogue for women that was also separate. And lastly, and you can go a little, there was a little more access for those who were Jewish men in the synagogue. So this is the context in which Jesus comes into this temple and begins to drive out the money changers and those selling doves. Now, those who were selling uh, and, and exchanging money for the proper currency, the shekel, they were doing so by price gouging. There were no doubt loud, distracting uh, negotiations going on in this cultural context in the ancient Near East. And so um, there's distractions, there's business being done, there's corruption, <clears throat> and there's divisions, cultural and religious, between Jews and non-Jews, men and women. And Jesus comes into this context and gives us a picture of what he would do ultimately on the cross, which is to shatter everything that separated them from God and them one from another. And so he comes in, and the Bible even says he would tear down the hostility wall through his finished work at the cross. And this is a precursor to that, even in the week of Passion Week, the week that Jesus would die on the cross later on, a few days later. Do you know that Jesus' earthly ministry, I recently learned this, started with and ended with this work? He did this twice, not once. He cleared the temple in the beginning of his ministry, after his first miracle at Cana, in John chapter 2's account, and here in the last week of his life on earth before his death and resurrection. Do you think Jesus was serious about his house being a house of prayer? What came into the house of prayer on the other side of this spiritual and physical cleansing, healing of the blind and the lame? And the religious leaders were so offended at Jesus coming in and doing this as though to say, and in other accounts to explicitly say, by what authority are you doing this? There are so many accounts, brothers and sisters, in the gospel, in the gospels where religious leaders are, are offended, and they say, by what authority are you doing this? 
And Jesus showed them with a demonstration of power. What was his authority for doing this? He healed the blind and the lame. One of the purposes for God healing people is to demonstrate by power his authority as the Son of God. That he alone, Jesus Christ, is the healer. And so again, like joy, like worship, healing is sourced in Jesus Christ, in his spirit, in the Father's love. It's sourced in God. Um, If you could put on the screen the Kairos Circle. So some, if not many of you, are familiar with the Kairos Circle. Um, We introduce this in different missional communities, smaller gatherings in our church for anyone who's visiting and is not familiar. Kairos is a Greek word that has to do with a divine disruption or opportunity from God whereby he breaks in on your life and disrupts your chronological timeline, right? Now, it can be regarding the Lord highlighting to you a character defect that he wants you to be healed or freed from. It can be the Lord giving you a simple assignment. Go and pray for that guy at the gas station. Um, And when you choose to obey Jesus as a follower of Jesus, it looks like entering into this learning circle that goes clockwise. It's rooted in the Bible verse... um, the, God, the kingdom is at hand. When Jesus said at the beginning of his ministry, the kingdom is at hand, and he said, repent and believe in the gospel. And so when we um, choose and say yes to Jesus, we start to enter this discipleship process of following Jesus in regard to what he's addressing in our lives. So much of my discipleship early on, so much of my Christian uh, faith, my journey with Jesus, was only the first half of this circle. So much of it was me identifying through the conviction of sin by the Holy Spirit in me, um, these, this shortcoming, this problem, this character defect, but not knowing that there was something deeper than the dysfunctional behavior at the source of it. And so my pattern was to observe, reflect, and discuss, and repeat rather than continuing into a full healing journey that Jesus wanted to take me on. So it would kind of be like um, I would confess sin sometimes, not all the time. I won't always confess. <laughs> but sometimes, <laughs> but, and that was a problem too, right? <laughs> but uh, when I did confess, um, that was kind of the end of it, but I was left broken, Right? My heart might have stayed soft toward God. Confession is obedience to Scripture. It is good. Um, And yet there was more, there was deeper God wanted to go regarding my heart. And so it would be just kind of like imagine I'm lost in a forest and a helicopter, I've I've cried out for help and in some way I've, I've gotten help and a helicopter comes down to rescue me and I turn toward it. Repentance means to turn, it also means to change the way you think. Um, and I just look at it, and I don't walk toward it, much less get on it. Isn't that like kind of insanity? It's just like, there's a helicopter. What should I? So, and, and that's kind of what the journey was like, though, for me. It was like, I would cry for help, I would confess my sin, and I just kind of repeat, I wouldn't get on the helicopter. 
I wouldn't believe in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to rescue me. And so that is one way we can inhibit our healing journey with Jesus. Remember, today we're talking about the place of healing. The house of prayer is a place of healing. Another way we can inhibit Jesus in this journey is we can begin to think that since we know better now that we're believers in Christ, we can do this on our own. We can be strong enough because we know better. We can do better because we know better. If you could put up the next verses... This is what Paul said to a church in the New Testament who fell into this trap. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? That word means what it basically has to do with that. It's sourced in an evil spirit's attack that has caused you to partner with it. Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? In other words, he said, if you started by believing and receiving the Holy Spirit for your life through faith in Jesus Christ, won't you continue to do that in your spiritual journey? Or will you begin to think that you can be healed and set free differently than how you were saved unto eternal life? Of course not, right? It's the same. Our sanctification, or that is, our process of becoming more like Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit is the same dynamic as what we have had when we got saved and first came to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Amen? A third way that we can inhibit our healing is that we can begin to believe our experience above the Word of God. You might be full of faith. You might be contending hard after healing, knowing it can only come from God. You are you you have enough. You know the enemy tries to lie to you and say you don't have you don't have enough faith, or you can do it by works, or you just need forgiveness, not healing. Right? All these kinds of narratives. Listen, brothers and sisters, the hurt that you're going through relationally in your bodies, emotionally, spiritually. It, there is, that is the battleground for the narrative on your pain. The narrative that the enemy is fighting for is where your pain is. He wants you to believe your experience over the Word of God. And the Word of God says that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins on the cross. And what that means is not just reconciliation to God and to one another, and not just the forgiveness of sins, but also the healing of our bodies, the healing of our souls, the healing of our spirits. The Bible says that he took our infirmities. He bore our suffering. And Matthew's account confirms this by saying he healed all who came to him. Elsewhere, the scriptures say that by his stripes you are healed. And Peter would agree with this and then use the, the past tense. By his stripes you were healed. After Jesus died on the cross, Peter said, you were healed. So what about when we're not healed? 
How do we reconcile that? If I was healed by Jesus' finished work on the cross, and my experience tells me, but I'm not healed, is Jesus saying, you're in denial? Is he saying, you didn't have enough faith? Brothers and sisters, his word doesn't say either of those things anywhere in it. His word says that we were healed. And Terry Wardle says the goal in our journey with Jesus is wholeness. The enemy is battling for the narrative about your pain. He's battling for the narrative about your pain, that the goal, that God's will must not be wholeness because you're not whole. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. Do you want your child to be whole? God wants his children to be whole. Not only that, but the word of God performs itself. And so the difference between God and me regarding his children and mine is that God said that he came for our wholeness and has the power to make us whole. And so on behalf of the leadership team and the pastoral staff here at the Gospel Tabernacle, and they're thinking, well, what's he going to say now? And we're going to have to clean it up later. <laughs> On their behalf, I say to you, we commit to contending and grieving with you in not yet places. There are several of you with whom I'm grieving right now. Over diseases in your body. Hospitalizations pain in your relationships. And I look around this room and I know real stories with real faces of real friends. Loss. Brothers and sisters, we need to grieve losses in proportion to that which we lost. The loss of relationships. The loss of the things that I used to be able to do that I can't now because of physical disability. The loss of time regarding these things. Brothers and sisters, a gift of Christ is grieving toward our healing. Do you know that as you contend for your healing in these not yet places, for the healing of your child, for your healing, for the healing of your relationships, the healing of your body, the healing of your soul, that Jesus is grieving with you. That Jesus is with you. Brothers and sisters, the mystery of all this isn't the will of God. It's the timing of the manifestation of our healing. And so that's why I said contend and grieve. Because John Wimber said, don't surrender to sickness. Keep surrendering to Jesus. We must keep the word of God above our experiences. Our experiences will betray us all the time. The word of God endures forever. We sang, his love fails not. He is faithful and he can't disown himself. He can't change from being faithful. And his word says, I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to ask you this. Um, it just almost slipped my mind. But uh, there's a passage in the scripture that just... Um, it's interesting you went to Psalm 77, Caroline, as I go deeper into grief and not yet places. Um, this passage uh, in the scripture, so I'm going to refer to some gospel accounts 
the ministry of Jesus, the ministry of healing. He's our healer. Um, there's a story of his friends, Mary and Lazarus, right? Where Lazarus dies and Jesus comes and sees Mary for the first time. Now, Jesus has prophesied and would raise Lazarus moments after he encounters Mary. But when he encounters Mary, he doesn't just fix how she feels and fix her problems and pass over her heart, right? He, if you know this story, he grieves with Mary. It says his heart is deeply distressed. Why? He knows he's going to let raise Lazarus. Have you ever thought of that? <laughs> I don't know why, except that this is who he is. He says, mourn with those who mourn. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Would you be comforted as Mary was in that moment? That Jesus, in this moment, is mourning with you. If you're mourning that which healing, which you have not seen manifest yet in your life, know that Jesus mourns with you. That there is comfort in the meantime for you. And that Jesus is healing you now, even as you are not yet healed in, say, your body. That he is sanct he's making you more like him. That he's working all things evil things, good things, neutral things. He's working all things for the good of those who are called and who love him. That anything that the enemy intends for evil, that is to cause you to believe a lie about your pain, anything that he intends for evil, the Lord is using for good. The Lord is using that to make you more like Jesus in the fellowship of your suffering with him and to know him more. The Lord is not wasting your pain. He didn't forget about you. You're not the only one pursuing him. He's pursuing you. He didn't leave you. He didn't forsake you. And he's not just responding or not responding to you. He is pursuing you like full on, wholehearted, pursuit. He's not flaky. He doesn't change. He is after you all the way, 100% committed to you in perfect love, never failing. No, not once. Amen? Amen. And so I hope this is reconciling for some of us, some of this about healing. We've got to get this settled in our hearts so that we don't surrender to sickness, but that we contend, that we grieve, that we see breakthrough in these places that God has for us through his finished work at the cross. Jesus is in full-on pursuit of you. here. He's making the valley of trouble a door of hope. He's making the valley of weeping a pool of springs. See, this is why it's so important to know the Word of God. <laughs> I forgot what I wrote, but <laughs> this is why it's so important to rehearse the Word of God, because the Word of God is above our experiences. He's making the valley of the shadow of death. He's preparing a table there for me. And the enemy has to watch me feast. The enemy has to watch me feast on truth. The enemy has to watch me feast on the word of God above the experience where? In the valley of the shadow of death. Why the valley of the shadow of death? Because it's the place of my pain and suffering. 
because it's the place where I've not yet been healed, because it's the place I've contended for so long for my child, so long for my body, so long for my soul. And in the meantime, in between time, he has a table for you. And that's why we live a joy-filled life. That even in the valley of the shadow of death, his rod and staff, they comfort me, right? And my cup overflows. And he's the glory that goes before me, and he's my rear guard. Amen? His goodness and mercy follow me, and he goes before me with his rod and staff. Well, there's nothing special about the house of prayer regarding his grace or our faith, right? It's not like, well, his grace only meets me at the house of prayer, <laughs> or I only have faith when I go to the house of prayer. Of course not. But what is, what is significant about the house of prayer? And why was Jesus serious about the house, even zealous about the house of prayer? The house of prayer was the place that the people gathered. Why was he so zealous for the house to be what it was made for? Because when we gather together and when we praise him, the Bible says where two or three are in, uh, gathered together, there I am in the middle. He loves to come. I think Jake said it this morning. He loves to come and dwell with us. And so when we draw near to him, he draws near to us. And I believe from scripture that when we draw near together, he loves that the most. He loves meeting you in the prayer closet, but man, he loves when we come together. There's so many scriptures about that. And he meets with us here, and that's why there's healing in the house of prayer. <laughs> because he is the healer, and he can't be anything other than who he says he is. You see, the lame and the blind didn't get healed in this passage because... Uh, it, they were in the house of prayer. They got healed in this passage because the healer was in the house of prayer. Amen? Because Jesus was in the room. And Jesus is healer. Well, I said before, the purpose of his healing power is to uh, demonstrate his authority. Another purpose is as a sign. And a sign, right, is like um, that which points to something else. So, like, the purpose isn't healing unto itself. We don't worship healing. But rather, it points to Jesus. And it points to his love for us. And also, it gives glory to God. Jesus says in several gospel accounts where he healed that the purpose of this is the glory of God. That God would be glorified. But it's also to lead people to Jesus. And so we see in a gospel account of Jesus with a man born blind. Here was a story, right? This man was blind for 40 years. Why didn't he get healed sooner? I don't know. <laughs> but when after Jesus heals the man from his blindness, he comes back to him at the end of the story. And what does he say to him? But do you know the Son of God? And he says, no, but who is he? that I may worship him. <laughs> and he says, I am he, and he falls on his face and worships him. And it was because of the healing that he believed. <laughs> he said, I'll, I'll listen to anything you say. You're the guy who healed my eyes, right? <laughs> and so he fell down and worshiped Jesus. I was in the store last month, and there was a um, young woman with her foot in a boot, and uh, she, had, she had broken her foot 
and uh, I she let me uh, pray for her and lay hands on on her foot. And so I was praying for her, and um, she felt this heat and tingling in her foot. And uh, she wasn't able to test it. She had, didn't have any pain at the moment. Um, and so I don't know if she got healed, but I told her the heat and the tingling in your foot is a sign of God's love for you. And his name is Jesus, and he wants a relationship with you. This is a sign unto a man, unto the God-man, Jesus Christ, that wants you so badly and is manifesting his desire for you, not just for your foot, right? <laughs> and so um, last night I was at my 25-year class reunion. I know, like all the staff are like, wow, he really is that old. Um, <laughs> all this young staff and uh, you youth, you're like, wow, 25 years. Um, so uh, I'm at my 25-year class reunion, and this guy um, in our class five years ago had a stroke and um, has really been through it and is still, like, struggling with short-term memory and speech. Well, about a year and a half ago, someone was healed here in a worship gathering in the house of prayer um, of stroke symptoms. Like, within the hour, they got their speech completely back, and they were well, and they were praising God out loud, and um, it was really awesome. I mean, they almost couldn't talk at all when we began to pray for them. Um, and so I declared that testimony over him. He let me pray for him. I'm declaring that testimony over him and praying for him. And the power of God overcomes him in the middle of this like bar where we're all like yelling just to talk to each other, uh, like just to hear each other. And, um, and he begins to tremble under the power of God. And I don't know if he got healed, but I told him, I said, Mike, that's God's love for you. His name is Jesus, <laughs> and he wants a relationship with you, and he has a relationship with Jesus already, so that was really cool. I, didn't, I, don't, I haven't stayed in touch with him, so I haven't seen him in 25 years, but, um, <laughs> but, that was, uh, but just to say, brothers, this is just a sign of God's love, and um, it is to the glory of Jesus' name. Well, if you can put the Kairos circle back. Oh, you got it. Zane's ahead of me here. Thank you, Zane. You're good. Um, this last part, Jesus says, your work is to believe in me. So I talked about the first half of the circle a little bit. He said, your work, in the scripture, he says, your work is to believe in me. But belief looks like something, right? And so here it says, make a plan. Be accountable to that plan and act. In other words, who did you discuss this with? Make a plan for your healing. Is it counseling? Is it Restoration Prayer Ministry? It's just the name of the prayer ministry here for inner healing and deliverance. Um, is it, um, you know, whatever it might be to believe in his work, that our work is to believe. And I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that even as I addressed us as the wounded, that we are also those who God has called to heal. He said, go and heal the sick. Freely you've received, freely give. We have all received healing if we are in Christ. Freely you've received, freely give. And so I gave a couple examples of that in my own life. I hope that that's a word of encouragement, that we're gathered together to spur one another on toward love and good deeds, right? That we are called to bring healing to others by the power of the Spirit in us. That we're called to freely bring 
what we've freely been given. And I just want to encourage us in that today. The Holy Spirit brings about healing to bear witness to Jesus' name, to give glory to his name, and to guide us in to all truth. Jake, if you can come and play, I would appreciate it. A house of prayer is a healing place because of a believing people for our own healings and calling to minister his healing to others. So I just want to give a summary about uh, from the three weeks on the house of prayer. The house of prayer is a place of worship. It's a joy-filled house, and it's a place of healing. That we come to lay, we come and minister to the Lord. And as we do in faith, the Lord begins to minister to us. We don't earn it from him. It's just the dynamic, and he's just so good. <laughs> that he comes and he ministers to us. He ministers his joy. He ministers to us the supernatural ability to worship by the Spirit of God, to get a revelation of Jesus and to exalt and to love Him from that revelation or by His Spirit. And then also, this is a place of healing. We have God stories upon God stories. Connie gave a God story a couple weeks ago. Brandy's about to give one next in closing. Because this is a place of healing. And healing in the house of prayer is one place that that happens. It also happens out there, and I shared those stories, right? Um, and so, praise God. But um, I just wanted to give a fresh word about the house of prayer in closing of this series. And so, the most um, the most famous or well-known Old Testament kind of house of prayer was known as the Tabernacle of David. And the Tabernacle of David was patterned after heaven. There were um, 12 singers, skilled musicians and singers for every hour, 288 skilled musicians and singers. 12 for every hour, 288 total. And so a man about a month ago prophesied to one of my sons, Reed, and myself um, about Reed's generation, Reed's 12, if you don't know our family, um, about their generation. And he prophesied that in the Ohio River Basin, of which we're a part, that um, there will be a worship and prayer movement unto a great harvest in his generation and through his generation. Now, that's not just his generation, right? We all play a part in that. We disciple this generation. We all play a part in it as a family on mission. But he said that over us and um, as he prophesied. And then about a week later, I was in prayer and the Lord told me, what was Reed's age to the day that the man prophesied over you and, and over the region? And um, so I calculated it a few times, and he's, he was 12 years and 288 days old. <laughs> 12 years and 288 days old. And so it was just like the Lord was saying, that word was my word. And I am building, and the Bible prophesies that in the last days, the days between Christ's ascension and his second coming, that he will rebuild the tabernacle or the house of David <laughs> unto ultimately his return, right? But that this would continue to progress. And so it's just consistent with the Bible in the way that it's playing out. But it's playing out here and now where we are and in our day. And the Lord is choosing to reveal it for us to partner with him 
by discipling our youth, by praying and prophesying that word in agreement, right? These are, why does he reveal it? Not just for us to know more information or to know something really cool or just to tell a story. It's because he wants us to partner with him in advancing his kingdom, right? And so what an opportunity to do that in this season. It's a fresh word of the Lord about the house of prayer in our day and in our region. Brandy, if you would come up, Brandy's going to share a God story. Thanks. Um, uh, when Steve spoke about the enemy as battling for the narrative of your pain, that really hit me um, because I think in my emotional journey, I've had full of faith that I would not let the enemy have the narrative of that story. And God has met me um, in that journey to experience just emotional healing throughout the past few decades following him. And in the past like five years, I think when it comes to physical healing, I've had to rethink that and uh, or really come to terms like, what does God say about physical healing? And I had, you know, this is why community is really great because I think if I didn't have community, my faith would be really weak in physical healing. Like I could probably just succumb to it and be like, oh, well, this is my lot, you know? And I have three friends that have really challenged me in it. And two are Devante and Galfua, who constantly ask for the little things and have so much faith for them personally and for their community. And that really strikes me because I don't always ask for very personal things from God for me. And then Julie, um, in the physical healing part, uh, she's always speaking a lot of life to me in those areas. And so I, um, I've just been having problems in my neck um, on and off for years, but it seems like in the past six months, it's been a little bit worse. And um, I just really could just succumb to it and hope the chiropractor could fix it and move on. And, um, but I, my daughter fell asleep in our bed one night and she's 10, so technically she shouldn't be, need to be picked up. But I was like, oh, I didn't wanna wake her up to walk. And I was like, should I pick her up? Shouldn't I? And I was like, don't pick her up, don't pick her up. But then I picked her up and I picked her up, put her in her bed. And like, I just felt in this one specific area of my neck, I was like, oh my goodness, what did I just do to my neck? And I, it was really frightening. <laughs> and that pain stayed all weekend. And um, so I already kind of have this thing in my neck. And then that, I was like, oh my gosh, is this what a slip disc feels like? And then my thoughts are, I'm gonna have to get surgery. It's gonna take forever. I mean, I was just going everywhere. And um, I was at church and he began the House of Prayer um, series talking about worship. And so I was just challenged by my friends to ask for the little things, but to also believe who God says he is for healing. And at that time, I just said, Lord, I really don't even know how to pray for this. And I said, I just wanted to go away. And I just felt like in worship a few minutes later, he just, I heard, God is healer and his hand is on me. And so I just kept saying that throughout worship. And during that, coming into worship and during that time, 
The pain was so bad, all I wanted was like a big dose of ibuprofen to try to minimize it. I was just sitting in my seat and I was crawling in my skin because it was hurting so bad. And I just kept saying that over and over. And that acute pain from that weekend literally just disappeared by the end of the um, service and it has not returned. And so, you know, it's the here and not yet, you know? I still have this other thing going and now I have a saying, just in that whole, like, don't let the enemy take the narrative of your pain. I just, when you said that, Steve, I'm like, Lord, thank you for just giving me this statement because now I have some truth to declare over this other, like, thing that's going on. So I hope that's encouraging, but thank you. Thank you.